Thank you, Ben. And good morning, church family. Good morning. I am single, and I don't want to be single any longer. I am single, and I might like to get married someday. I am single, and that is completely fine with me. I am married and loving it. I am married, and I don't know if this marriage is going to last. I am married, and this, sor- this marriage is a source of great pain. I am widowed or divorced and learning what God has for me in this. I am very young, and I hear lots of different things about marriage. Okay, did everybody hear where you are in life right now? Raise your hand. Did you all connect with at least one of those somewhere along the line? Did you, uh, well, if you did, welcome to our new family dynamic series at Community Grace. I'll just say that. Why are we taking a break from our Exodus series uh, for four weeks to talk about family dynamics? You might be wondering, here's why. Because family dynamics are really challenging. But not only that, so many reasons. But right now, especially because we are self-destructing as a society with breakdown of marriage and family. And we have been given a treasure, the answer to that through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take these four weeks and talk about marriage, family, and a whole lot of other family dynamics over the next four weeks to speak biblical truth into them. Marriage and family have been the building blocks, the basic building blocks of healthy society since the beginning of time. But they've been under extreme attack, and the church hasn't always dealt with that very well. So we're going to seek to resolve those things. I'm going to talk plainly in this series about things that for thousands of years were seen as plain biblical truth or common sense, but not so much anymore especially until the sexual revolution of the 1960s, kind of turned the corner in our society in the West after a long developing radical change to deny the biblical definitions of marriage and family. In just the last 10 years, this push to redefine marriage finally succeeded with the Supreme Court's Obergefell versus Hodges ruling to redefine marriage, to redefine marriage, to include same-sex marriages in America. And most of the world's nations have followed. And we appealed along the way, don't do this, don't do this, because if we redefine something that God defined, it's going to push ourselves further and further away from God, and it's going to make marriage meaningless. And indeed it has. It has pushed our society farther away from God, and it's made marriage meaningless. I mean, why limit marriage to just two people? Why not three people or five people or ten people? Guess what? It's happened. It's happened all over the place. Here's just one picture of many, many But this one on the right here says something very key, and that's from HGTV featuring their first thruple, that's a married threesome, on house hunters. And they say representation matters. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that we need to be seen on mainstream so that everyone comes to accept this. And one poll shows that indeed in the last two years, our country's opinion, acceptance of polygamy and Polyamory has grown from 7% to 14%. We are being conditioned to accept all of this. Or why not marry your dog? 
And it happened just recently in England. And English celebrities were at the wedding, and people are celebrating. And here's what it says. A British woman says she has finally found the true meaning of marriage now that she has divorced her husband and married her dog. I would love to hear more about that. Or why not marry yourself? It's called sologamy, and it's happening. There are wedding companies that will lead you in the ceremony with yourself. Um, there are a lot of others, honestly. I, I skipped a lot, but a one woman married the Eiffel Tower. Look it up. Um, at least two women I found married dolphins. Um, various people have married their computers. That's understandable. Uh, where will it end? Marriage and families, marriage and families are becoming meaningless as we drift further and further into cultural suicide. All of this is heartbreaking, but it is not new. This has been happening all around the world since the beginning of time, many places, many times in all human history. God says there are times when good is called evil and evil is called good. But this here is what God wants for his church. Ephesians 4, 13 through 15, in the face of all this, listen to God's design and appeal to his church, that's us, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So we need to be unified in the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, growing to mature manhood, that's to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And this is our culture right now. What's believed and valued this year is going to be totally different next year. That's to and fro, tossed by the waves, carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, God's people, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Jesus Christ. We don't need to worry about the rest of the world as if to panic and shut us down because God is still sovereign and he's in control and he's working all of this out for good as he defines. Our responsibility is to do what we can to bring God's health to family dynamics, to society, with whatever influence we have. That's our God-given role. And so that is our aim with this series, to learn and grow in God's Word so that we can do this, comfort people with love, and confront agendas with truth. And most of us are better at one of those than the other. We need to be excellent at both. We need to reach absolutely everyone with the love of Jesus, and we can if we're committed to that, but confronting harmful agendas with the truth of God's word because of his love for them. So we begin our journey today with marriage, and we'll finish with the rich theological significance of singleness. But these words are for everyone. If you're single, young, married, post-married, these truths are for everyone, for all of us. So let's grasp God's best for these things. First, grasp God's best for marriage. And we begin with the one who the whole universe is focused on, that's Jesus. Open your Bibles to Matthew 19. If, if you need a bulletin with sermon notes, communication cards, please raise your hand and you'll get one. Got lots of them out there. All right, keep them busy. That's good. 
So creator God knows what's best for marriage because he created us and he created marriage. And Jesus, who was God in the flesh, establishes his definition forever. Matthew 19 is centering on Jesus' discussion with the Pharisees about marriage and divorce. We're going to look at the verses 3 through 9. First verses 3 and 4. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? That was the thought of the day. Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Let me stop right there. Because it's important to see that from the beginning, God created us male and female, and there are differences that are being ignored right now. But there are biological differences, and much deeper than that, there are very significant reasons that God created us this way, and we're going to get into those today. He did it very intentionally. Now, the current frontier of the shifting sands of culture is to abolish and suppress God's plain truth in gender in efforts to reject and remove and replace God because inside the human heart, we want autonomy from God. We want to be our own gods and make our own rules. And this is understandable because guess what? That's in your heart too. That's in my heart. That's in everyone's heart. Again, we confront, we comfort people wherever they are in any of this with love because we know God has a better way and we want them to hear it. Testimony after testimony of people who have been rescued by Jesus out of lives, painful lives, lives of confusion and gender included, uh, proclaim the goodness and power of Jesus to bring freedom from that. And I love hearing those testimonies. All right, God created male and female then, verse 5, and said, Therefore, a man should leave, shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two, the two shall become one. Now we're getting into some territory that's not like anything else in the world. The two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two. Mm-mm. There's a new thing created now, one. One flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So God created male, female, and marriage all for very specific reasons which we're studying today, and they are not man's to redefine. And it's harmful to do so. In verses 7 through 9, Jesus highlights how great, greatly important marriage is to him in speaking how bad and how harmful it is and how opposed God is to divorce. Verses 7 through 9. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus answered them, because of your hardness of heart, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed for you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. It is not his plan or his definition. Verse 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So Jesus gives the exception here, and I want everybody to understand this. The exception here is if a spouse has chosen sexual immorality over their spouse, they have thus essentially already divorced him or her in their hearts, and that's the exception. There's another exception given in 1 Corinthians 7, that's the abandonment of an unbelieving spouse, 
Those are the only exceptions given for divorce. Now, we can apply those, and I want to give a special note right here because we need to, and that's anybody who's living in a situation of abuse or walking with somebody who is. Please, if you're in an abusive situation or if you're speaking into someone's life, tell the church immediately. Your your small group leader or your mentor or pastor or elder, if it's bad, separate immediately. And we, the church, will provide for you in that. We will. That's what we're here for. I've walked through this situation with many people over the, over the years, and I know how hard it is to leave this and how hard it is to stay. Hear God on this. Separate. Come to the church. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll engage both the abused and the abuser and speak God's word into it in prayer, in care, And just know that God blesses everyone who lives according to his word. He does. And we're committed to that. Please tell someone today if this is you or you know somebody. And we'll keep it as confidential as we need to. Jesus defined marriage. Now, next, to grasp the meaning of marriage, we're going to turn to Ephesians 5. So go ahead and turn with me there, Ephesians 5. And we'll see God's best for meaning. And what this is, is we need to see the meaning of marriage to see how great it is and how great God's plan for it is. Ephesians 5 is one of the most profound texts in the Bible about marriage. And we're actually going to start with the last three verses of this text to see the statement of the meaning of marriage and then go back and see the husbands and the wives' unique parts in it. Okay, the Apostle Paul starts by quoting Jesus. Let's look at verses 31 through 33. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Listen to this, verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So Paul restates the words of Jesus, and then he explains the deep meaning of marriage, the profound mystery embedded in it. And that is that marriage demonstrates to the world Christ's covenant with his people. Let me say that again. Marriage demonstrates to the world Christ's covenant with his people. Our marriages are a picture of Jesus and his bride. If you're not familiar with this metaphorical language, the church is called Jesus' body. He's our head, we're his body. It's called his family and it's called his bride. And our marriages are a picture of his love for us, his covenant promise with us, who he loves and who he sanctifies and who will be presented as holy to him in the future. And verse 33 is the concluding statement in light of this, and we're going to go back and and expound on all of this. Verse 33, his conclusion, however, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And here we have love and respect. Let's go back up to the top now and start at verse 18, actually, and start with God's best for wives, which is spirit-filled submission. Spirit-filled submission. Okay, how many people are, how many wives do we have in here today? Raise your hand. How many husbands do we have here today? How many people are friends with a wife or a husband? Okay, so we're talking to everybody here. This is for everyone. Now, typically people start at verse 22, which talks about wives. 
addresses the wives. But we're going to back up to verse 18 because the verses that go before verse 22 set the state of being. They establish the state of being in which marriage works best, in which everything works best. All right, so starting in verse 18, follow along with me. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled, filled not with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always, giving thanks always, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the state of being in which marriage is going to work best. This is the state of being in which everything is going to work best. This is how we experience God's very best for marriage, and it's see how it ends, submitting, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, the thing is, the whole Christian life is about submitting, and that's a good thing. It's a very healthy thing. It leads to God's best, to our thriving. So it's in that that we have God's best for marriage, and arrive at verse 22, which says, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. All right, hold on to this. There is a lot of really poor and harmful misunderstandings of this text out there of submitting. And that's either because of ignorance because we just know our own interpretation of what submission is, or because of sin, because we want the domineering control that this seems to indicate. So let's grasp God's best. What is biblical submission? Okay, the Bible does not say that all men are over all women. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that any one man lords over any one woman. It doesn't say that at all. The Bible does not say that a woman cannot be your boss at work. It doesn't say that. It does say married woman within a covenantal relationship of marriage to one man, submit to your own husband. See, this is a personal, intimate relationship. Your husband is yours. He's your possession, and you are his. This is the beginning of the epitome of an intimate relationship, as we'll see. There's nothing in the world like this. So what is biblical submission? It is voluntary yielding in this relationship. It is help for completeness. Now, this may not be the kind of help or helper that you've ever thought of. No, the Bible uses help most often to talk about God. God is our help and strength in times of trouble. So when Eve was created to be Adam's helpmeet, it was for completion because the helper has things that the person being helped doesn't have. You can't help someone unless you have something they don't. This concept of intimate oneness helpmeet, a godlike helper, is unlike anything else in the world. This is the meaning of marriage, and we're only getting started in the total picture. Look what else this verse, verse 22, says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. 
That's what we're talking about here. This isn't just blanket, absolute obedience to a person's whim. As Paul's, as, as men in Paul's day were allowed because women were considered property in that day. Paul is radically countercultural here as the whole Bible is, giving equal value to women and giving these ground rules. And again, we're just getting started that lead to God's best for marriage. As is fitting in the Lord. Also means not following her husband into sin because her ultimate submission is to the Lord, not to his sin. Okay? Also, submitting as is fitting to the Lord includes not, not dishonoring her husband by speaking poorly of him to the kids, to others. He may be hard to live with. He may succumb to temptations and tendencies to sin, as I do. But she desires to honor God and the role that God has given him in her life and not trash him or gossip or speak disrespectfully about him, not at all. Women who want to follow Christ live by the word and also find a mentor. There's a lot of godly women at Community Grace that have unlocked the secret to marriage happiness. And they would love to pass that along to you. They need to. In fact, Titus 2 commands us to speak to the younger generations the things that we've learned. So, I'm a, and also, this has been so neat, what God is doing behind the scenes, how he works all this out. There's been talk, unbeknownst to me until recently, that God is putting together a marriage mentorship here at Community Grace. And so I'm really pleased that's going to be developing in the next few weeks. And so here's what we can do right now is take out that communication card and women or men, I'll say, you can either write need a marriage mentor or will be a marriage mentor. And I want to encourage you all to seriously consider doing one or two of those. If you have that wisdom to give, you need to give it. If, you don't have a, if you're married or entering marriage and don't have a marriage mentor, ask for it. Singles as well. Okay. That's exciting to see. This is just one message. We're here. This is life that we're living together. So take advantage of that. And now the moment that we've all been waiting for. How do the men respond to the women? All right, Paul's just getting warmed up here. How do the men treat their wives in obedience to Christ to reap God's best for both of them in marriage? There's a lot of error about this too. So let's grasp this, everyone, today. God's best for husbands is spirit-filled love. Chapter 5, verses 25 through 30. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, cleanse, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. God, again, created marriage to be a picture of Christ's love for his church. Now, not every man knows what in the world Jesus, how Jesus loves his church. So let me make it really simple. He died for her, and he gave up everything to serve her. You get this? This is how men love their wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, 
to present her holy before God. As long as Jesus is faithful to his church, husbands need to be faithful, loving wholeheartedly their wives. He continues, verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. A modern paraphrase might be, happy wife, happy life. Those are true words. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it. Oh, man, we take care of our flesh. We nourish it, cherish it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. That is how you love your wife. You give that first priority to your own flesh all the time. Mm -mm, Now it's to her. Now, husbands are told to love their wives, and wives are told to respect their husbands. Does that mean that husbands don't need to respect their wives or that wives don't need to love their husbands? Of course not. The rest of the Bible tells those things as well. So why is Paul emphasizing these commands? And here's why. It's because what men and women are good at and what men and women need in order to be holy and happy are different. And so he's pointing out what's harder for us so that we can lead to flourishing and caring for each other in this intimate relationship. Now the two have become one. God is good. Men can tell you they thrive when they have a woman who respects them. I mean, they thrive. Women can tell you they thrive with a man who sacrificially loves them. God knows what he's doing, and he's giving us his wisdom. So this is the glorious work of marriage, and it is work. It is work. It is a dying to yourself. But it's work that will make both a husband and wife come alive with holiness and with happiness. And it will proclaim a great testimony to the world about Christ. This is the glorious opportunity that we have for God's best in marriage. Now we come to point E on the sermon notes, if you're following on those, and that's titled, Things to Watch Out For. And I had a whole bunch of things here, but this isn't a marriage conference. It's just one message. So I had to pare them down to just one thing that I... I like to talk about because it's so important and it makes so much sense out of our relationships. That's infatuation. 18 to 24 months. What even Christians often have before marriage, uh, more than committed sacrificial love ever happens, is infatuation. The man and the woman are infatuated with each other. I mean, the the person could do no wrong. I mean, everything's going to be great. Nothing bad is going to happen. It's going to be easy. We just love each other so much. I mean, nothing's more important in the world. The woman and the man are infatuated with each other. And infatuation lasts about 18 to 24 months, is what any psychologist will tell you. It may be longer if we have personal resolve, but that sensation of falling out of love is technically the infatuation kind of disappearing. That poor replacement for love isn't going to get us through the decades or make us thrive along the way. Now, I think infatuation is, is given by God so that we become interested in each other in the first place, but you can't leave it there. You've got to move on to what the Bible says is agape love. That's a Greek word for this kind of love, which is a love of choice. It's the commitment that we choose no matter what. It's not based on emotions. This is our choice, our commitment for the higher purpose for God so what is that love? The, the, the Bible talks a lot about it. 
But I like to go to Romans 5.8, which says this. God demonstrated his own love for us. That's his agape love for us. And that while we were still sinners, that means enemies of God, while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. That's a choice to love. And that's a picture of loving your spouse. Now, it's helpful to know that over the course of a long marriage, you're going, to fall, you're going to fall in and out of love several times. That's really helpful information. But before God, you make that commitment of agape love, of committed love, and you're going to find that that grows a marriage far beyond what infatuation or, or living by feelings and emotions ever could. The heights, the depths, the riches, the intimacy, far, far beyond it. For all people not presently enjoying God's best for marriage, in your marriages, we come to point F, and that is how to revive a marriage. How to revive a marriage? You revive a marriage the same way you revive your spiritual life. Hear this, in in Revelation 2, Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus. He commends the church for many things, and then we get to Revelation 2, verses 4 and 5. He says, this I have against you, you've lost your first love. Remember, Jesus gives us exact advice here. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent. It means change. Change what you're doing now and do the things you once did. Let's talk about what this means. Spiritually, the joy that you used to have when you were walking with Christ, maybe first became a Christian, maybe some other high point in your life, that joy is gone. How do I get it back? I'm in a dry season, I feel distant from the Lord. This kind of thing happens to all of us at some time. Jesus tells you exactly. First, you repent of whatever you've fallen into. That means you're turning from that. You turn from that. And where do you turn? You turn from there to do the things that you once did when you were close to the Lord. So reflect on those things. Think of your highest, best times with the Lord, who you were at that time, what you were doing, who, who Jesus was to you when you were close to the Lord, the passion that you had for certain causes that got you involved in serving in the world passionately, and you were fulfilled by that. The time that you spent with other Christians was great maybe at one time. Maybe you had a love for prayer and loved to talk to them, but you don't so much anymore. Maybe you had sensitivity to holiness in your life. You've, you've gotten away from a lot of things that trip you up spiritually and, and like a wet blanket on your spiritual fire. And so you put those things off by repenting from those things and remember. Return to those things that you once did. If you're not praying, start praying just for one minute a day. You feel the fire start to rekindle. You're praying for one minute a day? Try pray 10 minutes a day. You're not reading the Bible? Read it one chapter a day. You're reading one chapter a day? Read three or five chapters a day. Return to the things that you used to do. Skip the alcohol like you originally did at that high point. Maybe you remember a time where you weren't on a screen all the time, and that's dragged you away from your spiritual fire. Go on a media fast for a month. Return to these things and revive. Now, it's the same thing in marriage. 
Over the years of weariness of life, the challenges of living in a hard world, which we, we are, all the needs of the kids, things get stale, you're, you're pulled away from each other, you're neglecting each other, you've wounded each other. What do you do? Look at Jesus' words. Repent. Repent from those things that you've gotten yourself into, which means turn away from them and turn to what? The things that you did before. What did you do during that infatuation time? Oh, those were such good days. You wrote love notes to each other or just little encouragement notes. You went on dates. Yes, married couples, however long you've been married, you've got to have date nights. You've got to be together. Remember those things that you used to do. That means you've got to clear your schedule. You've got to say no to some things. You've got to get a babysitter. Whatever it is, focus on each other like you used to do. Learn about each other. I love this. You wanted to know everything about the other person when you were at your height. Well, you both changed. Learn each other. Want to learn each other. Serve each other. Make sacrifices like you used to for each other's good. Go to a restaurant where you have good memories. I would encourage you to do that this week if you can. Pray together and more than once a week. The fire that comes in a marriage if you pray more than once a week is measurable. Do these things regularly. Do the things that you once did. And don't allow the enemy to say, it's too late. God's not powerful enough for this. Or that you're not worth it. Or that they're not worth it. They are. You are. God is. The church is here to walk through that with each other. See what God does in your marriage. As far as it depends on you. Now marriage takes time. It takes work. It takes focused energy, and yields extreme blessing. So what do the singles work on, spend time on, focus on, and get blessed by? And all of this has been entirely spoken to singles along the way, but now we're going to zero in and grasp God's best for singleness. To do so, let me just wrap up everything I've said about marriage so far today. With this, to you singles, a logical question flows from all of this, and that is, I'm single. Does that mean I can't get completed? Here's the Bible's answer. The sanctification difference between being single and being married is a trade-off. One is not better than the other. Grasp this today brothers and sisters, that if God calls you into a marriage, that's how he wants to sanctify you, to make you more like Jesus, for you to, the way for you to serve in the world and grow you to completeness. If God doesn't want you for the moment to be married for the rest of your life, listen, men, Jesus is your helper, and women, Jesus is the head he is the perfection of both masculinity and femininity, Jesus. God is more of a man and more of a woman than we are. So he says, regardless of where you are, come to me and I can complete you. If you're called into marriage, stop being scared of it. Get married. If you're not being called into marriage, don't worship it. Stop wanting it so badly. Because God is providing your sanctification personally, your completeness. This is his word. And you're in good company with the Apostle Paul, who's my 
biblical hero outside of Jesus. And he was single his entire life. And he tells us how much better it is to be single. Just like him. 1 Corinthians 7. We'll just focus in on 32 through 35. Paul says, I want you all to be like me. Single, it's much better. Verse 32 through 35. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried and betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband and take care of the kids, I'll add there. I think that's assumed. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is a sweet and powerful season. Wherever you are, if you're not married, where you can be totally devoted, undivided, unhindered with the Lord and find your completeness in him. Don't waste this special season in your life. Now, you still need the full fellowship of the church, and you still need companionship in friends. But I pray that regarding marriage, you will be so radically fulfilled by knowing this and pursuing God and with the Holy Spirit himself that it amazes you, frankly, and amazes everyone else that you know and give testimony to. Singles, married people, the Bible says a whole lot more. We're going to keep talking about this for the next three weeks. But where can we go from here today? Here are two next steps, or a few next steps. One is to pray to God who redeems all brokenness. One of the things I have enjoyed the most about just getting to know Jesus is that he is the redeemer. And I've seen he will redeem anything, any brokenness, any hurt, any pain. He can make good come from it and restore it. He makes life come from the ashes. He's the redeemer. Now, we've talked about some messy stuff, and there's a lot of painful stuff underneath the surface of all of this, but it's right here. Christians who've been divorced, Christians who've been single, or sinful in in any way, we're still part of Jesus' bride. He is still 100% committed to you, and we are too in this church. We got it? Not every church can say that. Lord willing, we will always be able to say that. No matter what, we are fully committed, not giving up on anyone. Let's pray to God often and come to faith in Jesus for the first time, if, if this is your time, to come to faith in Jesus right now and receive the new life, the washing away of everything bad from your life and see how he forgives and redeems everything. And know also, as we're walking with people in messy situations, in challenging, hurtful situations, they're not resolved in one good conversation. It's a lifelong journey through those things, and I'm pretty sure that's what God has in mind. That's part of the sanctifying process where we, through that pain and that long walk, we develop relationships, we have opportunity to give grace, (laughs) to ask for forgiveness, to pray a lot and depend on him. And over the months or the years, whatever it takes, God will work his good, his will. So persevere to the end. He'll give you the strength to do that. Number two is to take one or more of these next steps for your relationships. Okay, singles, I want to encourage you to get into a small group family. I I have just learned, I was a small group pastor for 15 years, 
do I get into a singles-only group or one that has a variety of people? The answer is yes. <laughs> get into both. They both have their own unique parts to play. We're a church family, and you have so much to offer the whole church. So get involved with the church, the church family, and serve God wholeheartedly, undividedly right now. Tap into that. We have a couple guys here that I have really enjoyed working with this last year that I just want to mention because these guys are exemplary. Paul Hostetter, Zach Stichter, they have flat out said, I'm single right now, but it allows me to be totally devoted to Christ. That's really cool. There are others, I know. I got permission from those two guys, though. Okay, next, marriage counseling. It is available. It's so good. I, I have enjoyed the counseling I've received and the counseling I've been able to give. And marriage mentorship, it is available. Just write on your communication card, and we'll get it going. We're in it for the long haul. We're committed to this. And it might start a movement in your family and in our church and in our world. So yeah, if, again, if you need a communication card, thanks, Chris. Raise your hand, and he'll give you one of those so you can write some of this stuff down. Next, two book recommendations. You know, I, I've heard that there are 75,000 books on family dynamics in print. That's a long reading list. So I just have two today. <laughs> but I do recommend these very highly. One, for a deeper dive into the meaning of marriage than we've been permitted to go today. Tim Keller's The Meaning of Marriage is a great read. I read this like thrilled to know all this stuff that we're a part of. Um, and then on the practical end, his needs, her needs, to bring that fire, that revival, and protection into your marriage with the way you're treating each other as different beings. Those two are great. And we have a few copies for sale back at the um, Resource Center if you want to pick one up today. Okay, next is parenting is going to be one of the focuses next Sunday. Uh, but Tyson Ashenfelter, Zach Harding, they, they, they launched a community of training, an adult Bible study, this morning in the 915 service, and I just want to promote it here. They're going through Paul Tripp's parenting, 14 gospel principles that can radically change your family. They said the first one was pretty, pretty deep, actually. Um, that's, that's great. That's lives being changed. Sign up for that. I would encourage you. And then finally is Operation Hug. The church exists to, yes, become new in Christ, and then to bring that healing to the world. God has called this church to be involved with the foster system in Costagasso County. Uh, so we are launching a community care event. We want, our goal is to have about 10 of these a year where we're out into the community doing things. This is our first one under this new title, Community Care Events. It's Operation Hug, where we're going to... Um, we're going to reach out to and connect with every foster child and family that's starting their new relationship uh, in 2021. That's over 100 kids. And we have a two-minute video from Desiree Johnson, who gives a little bit of her background, and she's on the team, the Father's Heart, leading this, and how we can all be involved. This is where the Holy Spirit's leading our church. So I encourage you to take everything God's doing for you and pour it out into the world, and this is how over these next few weeks. But let me pray, and then we'll watch the video. Lord God, I thank you so much for the wisdom of your word. Now I just pray that we can overcome our own pride by the power of your Holy Spirit and Jesus' infinite blood shed for that pride, that we can overcome that and be humble and love and submit and serve and honor and please each other. In marriages, 
in every other family dynamic and in the church family. God, guide us now as we pray to build up our own lives and to pour that out as an overflowing cup into the world to bless it as you've called us. May we be faithful and respond and worship to you even today as we make those commitments in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.